Good morning. As I left, I knocked over somebody's drink. I'm sorry. Bad start. Thank you. It's a privilege to speak to you today. I'll probably speak for 20, maybe 25 minutes at the most, so we have room for others who uh, want to share some of the vision. Uh, but if you've been around First Christian for any length of time, you know that our purpose is to make disciple makers, a process that continues to reproduce itself. And we do that through our three C's, which of course are celebrate God and his work in our lives, which we do primarily here on Sunday mornings as we worship together. Cultivating growth, both with God and one another. We do that through our study groups, Sunday school. That's primarily learning about the Lord. And in our small groups, that's with one another, our life groups. But the third C is the one that's the hardest for almost every Christian, including me. And that's communicating the gospel in both word and deed. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Communicating the gospel is not optional for a Christian. Yes, there are those who are evangelists. They have that gifting given by God. It's, they, they find it easy to go up to perfect strangers and talk to them about the intimate details of their spiritual journey. That's hard for me. And you're probably more like me than you are like Scott, who does have the gift of evangelism, or Mike Valley. Many of you know Mike. There are those who are gifted with that, and thank God that they are. But most of us don't have that gifting. It's still not optional for us. Thankfully, we have scripture to guide us. Paul was bold. The Apostle Paul had no trouble at all going into a new town and not worrying about his life and just declaring what he wanted to from scripture. He did ask for prayer that he would declare it boldly and fearlessly. So he even asked for prayer to do that. So he had some trepidation too. But Peter's different. Peter's more like you and me. Peter denied his Lord before a servant girl. Now, that was before the resurrection, and that changed him. Absolutely, it did. He was much more bold after it. But even after the resurrection, after he was established as an apostle and a leader of the church, when he was in Galatia, if you remember, Paul had to rebuke Peter because Peter, who had previously been eating with the Gentiles as a Jew, backed off from doing that when his fellow Jews came from Jerusalem, who were Christians, he backed off from doing that because he felt intimidated. He didn't want them to think poorly of him mixing Gentile and Jew, and he backed off from what he believed out of fear, out of the fear of man. Peter's much more like you and me. Fortunately, by the end of his life, he had established a pattern of consistency for the Lord. In fact, church history tells us that he was martyred for his faith crucified even as Christ was but out of reverence for his Lord he refused to be crucified the same way and he asked to be crucified upside down so that he wouldn't die in the same way his Lord had but he was a different man by then before he left and went to heaven he wrote first and second Peter and our scripture today comes from first Peter and we're going to look at that together it'll be on the screen just two verses because we don't have a lot of time today where Peter gives us three keys for how every Christian, not just those who are gifted with the, the gift of evangelism, can be a, an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Probably something he employed in his own life, and he shares that with the rest of us. Let's read together. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
I can just see Peter saying, this is what I've learned. I've got to communicate this. The first key, and the, this is on your bulletin. If you want to turn to the back, you can actually take notes there. I've given you an outline that you can use. The first key is the witness of our hearts. Notice he doesn't start with what we say and what we do. He starts with our heart. And that's deliberate on Peter's part. He begins with our heart because it represents the core of who we are, what we think, how we act. It is who we are. He says you won't be a good witness unless your heart is in the right place. Get the first things first. We need to honor Christ in two ways, as Lord and as holy. As Lord simply means I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. It means my desires, my plans, my purpose, my will come second to Jesus Christ and his purposes and plans and will for me. It's easy to say. It's a whole lot harder to do. This is a daily struggle for every one of us. And holy. This idea that Christ must be regarded as holy is something we're very familiar with. We just don't know it. Matthew 6, 9 is the Lord's Prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We love the words. What do they mean? Hallowed be thy name means may your name be regarded as holy. That's what we're praying. It's the same thing here, Peter says, in your heart. Christ must be Lord. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. And he must be regarded as holy. Is that true of your heart? Can you say, he is Lord of my heart and he is holy? Because the rest falls in line from that. This is not something that's easy and there's a way God's helping me learn it. There's an area of my life where I struggle for Christ to be Lord and to be holy. It's actually in my attitude about my job. I have a fantastic job. I'm telling you not how I feel, but what I know to be true. <laughs> the truth is I work from home. I work 100% virtually from home out in Limestone. I've done that for four and a half years now. I've been at my work 19 years, but the last four and a half years I work virtually. I could be in my pajamas all day if I wanted. I don't. I can't think when I'm in my pajamas. But I could if I wanted. I like what I do. It's interesting. I don't look at the clock and think, oh, there's so much time dragging on. When's this going to end? I like what I do. I don't, I'm not overworked. I probably average 45 hours a week, sometimes 50. But that doesn't include, I don't have to drive. The rest of you have to drive to work. Add that to what you do. I'm not overworked. I like what I do. I'm paid well enough that my wife doesn't have to work outside the home. She teaches piano and she enjoys doing that. But it's not a requirement to have food on the table. And I'll still complain about my job because I don't like the stress. I don't like it in my work when my clients are unhappy and something goes wrong and I feel stress and I have to resolve a situation. I don't know. It's the way the Lord wired me that it burdens me. It weighs me down and I think about it. I wake up in the night thinking about it. I can't sleep. And so what do I do? I complain about my job to my wife. And I bring her down. And I just feel this spirit in me of complaining. And I was convicted by the Lord. That's the way I provide for you and your family. I have given you everything you need to support your family in this world. And you're just going to complain to me about it. Because it's a little bit of stress. I was not honoring the Lord as Lord and as holy in that area of my life. I was complaining. And I knew it. I was convicted of it. So I started doing something different over the last year or two. I haven't licked this problem yet. Ask my life group. 
I ask for prayer about my job, and I start complaining, and I have to stop. <laughs> but I started doing something that's helping me. Each day, when I first realize I'm awake, before I even roll out of bed, I commit that day to the Lord, and I thank Him for my job. I thank Him for the things I appreciate. I thank Him for the things He's provided. I ask for the strength to deal with whatever stress is going to come, because I know it will, that I may honor Him in the way I deal with it. I don't always do it. But I'm telling you, it's a great help to start my day with the right framework and mindset that he is Lord and he is holy and he's the one in charge of my heart. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. That's what God is helping me learn. It's a long-term process for me. It doesn't change overnight. You have to deal with the similar things. I, I just don't know what it is in your life. But I know God's talking to you now. In what areas of your life do you need to say, you are Lord and you are holy? Don't run from those. Talk to God about them. If we don't do that, we're not going to have any witness for the Lord. He's got to be Lord and holy in our hearts. So the second key is the witness of our words. We go on to read, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If Christ is occupying the place of Lord in our hearts, that naturally will arouse curiosity in others. Not everyone, but some. Some. He didn't say everybody would notice. But this happened to me once. I remember years ago, I was in Florida where I used to live. That's where my uh, home office is. There was a guy by the name of Russ that I worked with. Russ was new. I had trained him for about eight weeks along with a group of about 18 people. And it's a secular job. I wasn't talking about the Lord but apparently he noticed something different about either the language I used or the approach I took or talking about going to church. I don't know. I'm not sure. But he approached me one day, maybe a month out of training, and said, Mark, why are you different? Now, my wife could answer that in a lot of ways that would make you laugh. <laughs> but that's not what he meant. I, I knew he was driving at something spiritual. And I wasn't sure what he'd seen. Honestly, I wasn't. But I had the chance to sit down at lunch with him and tell him the difference in my life is that I know Jesus Christ. And I follow him, for good or for bad. I follow Jesus Christ. He was not a believer. He did not become a believer then. He worked for another month or two, and then he found a different job, and I don't know where he is today. From time to time, I still pray for Russ, because I don't know where he is in his spiritual journey. I pray that other Christians come alongside, and he notices things about them. And that one day he puts all the pieces together, and God opens his eyes, and he bows the knee before Jesus Christ. So Peter says, be prepared to make a defense. Someone may ask you. This word defense, by the way, is the word from where we get apologetics. It's apologia. Apologetics is defending your faith. Dr. Jason Lyle defines it as to give a reasoned argument in defense of one's position. So let me ask you, can you give a reasoned argument for why you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you thought it through? Do you know what scriptures you would use? Do you know the, the approach you would take to walk them through what it means to follow Jesus Christ? Are you prepared? Notice that we're to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Not just why you're different, but the hope that's in you. By the way, hope in the Bible is different than how we use the word hope today. I'll say I hope it's going to be 75 degrees and sunny tomorrow. Which means that tomorrow will be 75 degrees and sunny. No, it doesn't mean that at all. 
It's a wishful desire. I'm just hoping. I have no idea. I, I need to check the weather forecast, and even then, that'll be right some of the time. Hope in Scripture is a confident expectation. And what Peter's talking about here, he already defined for his readers. If you back up, and we'll put this verse on the screen, the first chapter of the same letter he wrote, he talks about what that hope is. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5 say this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the hope he's talking about. When, when Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you, it's the hope of glory. It's the hope of a home in heaven. It's a hope that the here and now is not all there is. Is that your hope? I know that's your hope. Otherwise, why would you be coming to church? What's the point? If this is all there is, go play golf. But this is not all there is. Peter says that hope needs to burn inside you and people need to ask, why are you different? What is that hope? Peter says, always being prepared. What does that look like when you're prepared? Are you praying for people who need the Lord? Friends, family, neighbors, coworkers? Are you praying for them? Have you thought about what you'd say if they ask you or if you get a chance? Have you thought about how to explain that this idea that God created the world isn't some wild idea? It's backed up by all sorts of things you can point out. Are you prepared? Can you explain who Jesus is, why he's unique, and what he's done for that person, why he's their only hope of heaven? Are you prepared? But notice what the second half of that verse that we started with says, who asks you for a hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We know lots of Christians who are anything but gentle and respectful. They're on the news all the time. Our media loves to point out Christians who claim to be Christians, that's between them and the Lord, but who are hateful and who give all of us a bad name. It's easy to do. Be disrespectful. Peter says be gentle and respectful. No amount of arguing or badgering or cajoling or forcing will cause anyone to bow the knee to Christ. That was already tried in the history of the church. They were called the Crusades. It doesn't work. You can use all the right words. A person comes to faith when God opens their eyes and the Spirit of God draws them and they get it. They understand who Jesus Christ is. You can't cause that to happen. God will use you in the process, but you can't force it to happen. So approach people with gentleness and respect. Thankfully, it's God's job to save. It's just our job to present the message. My family took a short-term missions trip to the Dominican Republic in 2011. We went for one week. You'd think, what can you do in a week? Well, we had a very specific task. There were long-term missionaries that worked there, and they were trying to make inroads into the communities with the children, with the parents. But there were only one or two couples working there. And so these short-term groups would come from different churches. And their job because they were larger and they were there for a focused time period, was to play games with the kids in the neighborhood, bring food because it was economically a difficult place to live, go into the homes of those who would invite you in and pray with a translator 
for those family members and what they needed prayer for. Basically, to establish goodwill for the missionaries, that they were here for the good of the people, and it was represented in us playing with their kids and doing puppets and bringing food and praying for them. That was our challenge. But the lady missionary who was there said, could you just not be like the group that was here last week? We said, what? What are you talking about? She said, the group that was here last week had good intentions. But they came with their notepads and their counters, and they went into each home, and they cornered the person and said, you have to believe. You have to believe now. We're leaving. You must believe. Pray with us. Pray with us. Pray with us. And they forced the people into confessions of faith. And then at the end of the week, they added up all the ones they had. And they praised God because they had 157. And the missionary lady said, I think they did more harm than good. That's not how you lead people to Christ. You don't force someone to bow the knee to Jesus. We have to be winsome, attractive, as it says here, respectful and gentle. That interests people. When you have something truthful to say, but you're kind-hearted and you love them and you're interested in them. That's a winning combination. Don't bring the crusades back. The last key, the witness of our actions or deeds. As we say here, communicate in word and in deed. This is the deeds, our actions. If Christ is Lord in our hearts, number one, and we're ready to give an answer with gentleness and respect, but our actions don't match our words, forget it. That's just being hypocritical. That doesn't do any good. People will see, will see right through a facade. I have three teenagers. Teenagers cannot be fooled. <laughs> They'll call you on it. I've learned that one of the ways God changes my character is by giving me teenagers at home. <laughs> and in our home, we either are authentic or they're going to call us on it. You know the same thing. You don't fool the people in your own home. We've all heard stories about Christians who look good on Sunday morning, but it's a different story Monday through Saturday. Don't be one of those. Peter isn't asking for sinless perfection. Remember, it's Peter. He denied the Lord three times. He's not asking for perfection here. He knows we're sinners. What he's asking for is integrity, consistency. Merriam-Webster defines integrity as the state of being complete, or whole. It means you're not two people, you're one person. Your actions, your words, your motives, they all go together. They all hang together. You are who you say you are, you are who you demonstrate you are. You're one person. That's what he's saying here. This type of life won't keep us from slander. They'll still say what they want, but he says here, your good behavior will eventually prove them wrong. You're not a hypocrite. You're not just like all those people who claim to be Christians and live like the devil. No, I've watched you for years. You're different. That's what you want someone to say to you. You are different. You're authentic. I may not believe it, but I can't deny it. You're the real deal. There's no greater compliment to a Christian than that. But that's not the end. Peter says the implication here is that some of them will eventually come to faith. That's why in 1 Peter 2, the previous chapter, 1 Peter 2.12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Pagan, by the way, just means unbeliever in this context. Live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, you'll win some of them over because your heart's in the right place, your words are good, 
and your actions back it all up. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have a desire to lead others to the same well of drinking water that you found. We don't want to keep this to ourselves. You have a desire. You may be intimidated. You may be fearful. But if you know Jesus, you have that desire. God, use me in someone else's life. I know you do because I have that. We don't always know when the opportunity is going to come. There's a woman I've worked with for 14 years. Met her in 2000. Her name's Kelly. She lives in Orlando. She works from home as well. And I've managed her for at least 10 of those 14 years, including the last seven or eight continuously. I've prayed for Kelly for years, years and years and years. Kelly's not a believer. She doesn't go to church. Whenever I bring up anything about the Lord, she's like, that's great. You've had those conversations. I'm happy for you. You found what works for you. That's great. Everybody needs what works for them. But how do I explain she needs Jesus? She cuts me off. So I've just prayed. Now, she loves to have me pray for things when things are going wrong in her life. Mark, would you pray for this? Because you're religious and maybe it'll get through if there's a God. You've had those experiences. Why don't you pray for this? Well, all of that was true until a week and a half ago. And then things changed. Kelly used to listen to Howard Stern. That was her favorite uh, radio talk show host to listen to. I doubt that's going to help draw her any closer to the Lord. But nonetheless, she was listening to Howard Stern. She changed. Now she listens to some guy in, well, actually, I don't know where he's based out of, but he's, he's a Catholic. His name is Mike Church. What a great name for someone who's he's church. And I've never heard him before. I don't know anything about the man. But she says he's making her think. And this is what she texted me or messaged me at work uh, just a week and a half ago. That guy makes me really think about God. His purpose in life is to make sure his kids get to heaven. I need to make that my purpose. Make sure I and Ethan and Brian get there. Ethan's her son, 10 years old. Brian's her husband. I know both of them as well. Okay, this has just messaged me on my screen at work. Woe is me if I don't say something. (laughs) I've been praying for 14 years to say something. And she throws that at me. I'm just like you. I don't know what to say. I don't know the magic words. I just prayed. I had about, you know, 30 seconds before it got awkward if I didn't respond. And I just prayed in those 30 seconds. What do I say, Lord? And I thought of, she wants to get to heaven. And I thought of John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I thought, let's just use the words of Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, you're just presenting Jesus. It's not yourself. It's not a religion. It's not a made-up way. It's not a system. It's Jesus. So I quoted that to her. And I waited. And she, she wrote back and she said, Mark, that made me cry. I, I don't know what that means. No one can ever stand, understand females unless you are female. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I thought, she's working with me. This is good. But then she shut it down. She was done. Like, okay, I'm not going to force it, right? I'm not going to beat her over the head. Monday comes now. That was like a Thursday or Friday. Monday comes and she messages me again. Says, Mark, the funniest thing happened over the weekend. <laughs> I can't get any work done with her always asking me these things. I said, what is it? She said, I was at Disney and some unknown person, a stranger came up to me on the street and said, do you know where you'll go if you die? And she was taken aback and she thought, well, I'll I'll engage them. And she said, well, heaven, I hope. This person said, and how do you know you'll get there? And and this is the first time I've been able to hear what she believes. She's, She's texting this to me. She said, I responded, 
by being a good person and keeping the Ten Commandments. And I thought, oh dear. Because no one can do that. She's right. If you can claim 100% goodness in your heart, you'll go right to heaven. Good luck claiming that. That's the problem. Is that I can't, you can't, she can't be good enough. And I thought, what do I say? What do I say? And I thought, and then she gave me an opening. She said, Mark, is God trying to get my attention? I said, you better believe he's trying to get your attention. Can I, and I thought, here's my option. I said, can I send you what the Bible teaches about how you can know that you will go to heaven when you die? And she said, yes, send that to me. So last Monday, like six days ago, I wrote up a one-page summary, had my wife review it. She looked over everything. <laughs> this is this woman's eternal destiny. I, I don't want to be flippant about what I'm saying. Talked about God being creator, being holy, and being judge of the universe. Said there's four things the Bible teaches you need to know. That's number one. Do you recognize God as creator, holy, and judge? He calls the shots. You can't argue. Number two, do you know the Bible teaches that everyone is a sinner? And I know she thinks good means I haven't done anything horrible. That's her mindset. So I use sins that none of us can deny. I said, have you ever been selfish, prideful, or hurt anyone? Okay, guys, which of us claims we haven't done that? Explain that being a sinner means you haven't lived up to the standards God has set, which are his own character of perfection. And that as sinners, we demand to be punished. And the only punishment is death, eternal separation from God. And Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible. It's real. And that's why he came. And then I talked about Jesus. Jesus being the only one, the only one who can bridge the gap between God and man. Because he is the God-man. He's the Son of God who in his perfection took on flesh, lived among us a perfect life, and then died a substitute death, taking the punishment, guilt, pain, condemnation that you and I deserve. And then lastly, by faith, all the benefits won by Christ are given to us. And God sees us as righteous and holy, not because we are, but because we are united to Christ by faith. And I said, will you bow the knee before Jesus, repent of your sin, and hang on to Jesus is the answer. And I sent it to her on Monday night. And then prayed. And then in our family, we prayed that night. And those three teenagers who see right through any hypocrisy I have, they prayed with me. I haven't heard back. I don't know. We've talked, because I'm her manager. We've talked about work. But she hasn't brought that up since. I don't know. But you can bet I'm praying for her. Because I know God's working in her heart. I can't deny that. And I would ask even right now as you're listening to me, just say a quick prayer for Kelly. Would you just right now, just in your mind, that God will open her eyes to the truth that's found only in Jesus Christ. And now what about you? Have you bowed the knee before Jesus as Kelly needs to, as I have, as many of you here have? Have you? Only God knows your heart. Remember, it's Jesus Christ or it's nothing. As I wrap up, as a church, we've had the privilege of communicating the gospel in a unique way in this community through Catalyst Coffee. We're going to invite up two of the members of the board that oversee how Catalyst works to come and talk. They're going to come up in a minute after we show a video. 
Catalyst for us is a beachhead for the gospel in our community. It's something different, but we want it to be winsome. That whole gentleness and respect thing. That's what we want it to be. It's a place where people meet, where relationships are healed, where Christ can be exalted. I already know of a story I've heard where two ladies met there and their relationship was mended. They needed a third place to meet where they could meet, talk through their difficulties, and their relationship was healed. I heard that from a friend. I don't know who the people are. It's none of my business, but I know it happened. Chuck and Sue are here today who are the general managers. do a great job in there. I know that's their heartbeat that will be used of the Lord. So we're going to watch a short video which just has three or four interviews of people who frequent there or work there, and you're going to hear why they do and why it's important to them. And then we'll have uh, Mike Schubert and Jeff Ward come up as members of the board and talk about their vision for the place. All right, let's go ahead and watch the video. church 
and he was so excited about Catalyst and having a place that was not church to meet at. Uh, he wanted to meet with a man, and the man would not come to his church, but would come here and talk. And so he was excited and said that a place like this was needed in Greenville. And he was praising our congregation for following God and the elders in the vision of Catalyst. Testing. Okay, we're good. Uh, I guess first of all, I'd like to say um, thanks to the elders for facilitating the day. It's kind of a, it is an honor to be up here speaking when it's Elder Sunday. Um, these these men do a lot for our church. A lot of it's visible, a lot of it's not visible. So just thanks for uh, being here and facilitating, coordinating, and putting on such a, just a great service. Um, wanted to speak for just a few minutes, Jeff and I. Well, actually, we were, I guess we were kind of volunteered to speak for a few minutes. Uh, about Catalyst and uh, what's going on there. Um, You've probably heard this before. Uh, Catalyst serves as a beachhead. It's a beachhead into the community um, for probably many different reasons, and I don't understand them all because I was basically born in church. A lot of people just don't like to go to church anymore. It's not comfortable. Um, You know, maybe they've got bad memories. Maybe they've experienced hypocrisy. Um, The church just doesn't carry the connotation that it did a few decades ago. And if we're going to be effective in our mission, we're going to be effective in uh, fulfilling Matthew 28, 18 to 20, if we're going to be effective in fulfilling the very first word of that verse, which is go, um, we've got to do something different because otherwise there's going to be a, a vast number of people who just never hear the truth. And so that's the mission of Catalyst. And uh, the mission is closely intertwined with the mission of this church, which is um, just to seek and to save the lost. And that doesn't happen effectively without building relationships. And so Catalyst is a comfortable place um, where you can get a great beverage, um, smiling faces, warm atmosphere, um, and start to develop those relationships. Relationships, as we just spent the last six weeks um, working through, they're not easy. In fact, they're, they're downright messy. Um, and a lot of times they're slow. We may want them to develop faster. Um, we may desire that because we know the benefits of a good relationship. But honestly, the best relationships generally come out of some type of turmoil, and then you work through that together. And, and Catalyst is simply a place where people can gather, and those relationships can begin. Um, it's so-called neutral ground. Um, carries no expectation other than uh, you know just being decent, respectful to people. Um, so Catalyst has uh, a few primary goals. The first, obviously, is a place where you can develop relationships which hopefully lead to an opportunity to share the truth. Um, the second purpose of Catalyst is to do just as Jesus did and just give. Give liberally. Give back. Give of your time, of yourselves, of your money, of your talents. Um, give, give, give. Um, it's tough to give when you're not making any money. Um, first month was a little challenging. The second month we made... Is it $2 or $4? Two. I mean, $2. Um, I've heard a rumor. I haven't seen the, the final numbers yet, but I heard a rumor that we made about $2,000 last month in March. Um, so I would call that a good trajectory. Um, ultimately, our goal is to give back to the community. Many of us um, have lived here for a 
few years, and a lot of us have lived here for most of our life. And uh, we, we live in a great community, um, and what we want to do is give back and uh, be a part and be a contributor to those that are already doing good work here. And so we do that by giving. Um, and those are the, the two of the, the primary purposes of Catalyst. Um, one thing that everybody can do um, is show up. Go to Catalyst. Be a patron. Um, have a conversation with somebody in line. Ask them what they're getting. Ask them why they're getting it. Maybe something that you should get because you haven't, you haven't uh, drank before. So um, the first step of being a, a part of this is just showing up. There's lots of things you can do. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff and maybe give some more specifics. I wanted to say thank you first. And I said this in first service. wanted to praise our elders, our leadership, our pastors uh, for their vision, for their bravery. I told them they were extremely brave in first service because they let a lawyer have a microphone. And, and now they've done it again in second service, so they're really stepping out there. But you know, this is following the calling, and this is really following in a way where you're you're putting your, your blood, sweat, and tears in. And Chuck and Sue, if you uh, see what they're doing on a daily basis, you'll see blood, sweat, and tears going into this mission and ministry. And they're living it there, there all the time. And 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, it's still a smiling face that you see, which is amazing. And it's, it's great. You go, go through, and you'll see the way this is uh, affecting people, affecting lives. Uh, you got to see, there was a lovely young lady up on the screen a minute ago. Um, I'm a little prejudiced, that's my wife. But you'll see the way that uh, some of these stories have touched people already. You've heard some of it already, but there are others. If you talk for a few minutes with Chuck and Sue, talk with anybody that's there on a regular basis, you'll hear about other stories that are occurring on a daily basis where lives are being touched, lives are being affected. Things um, on, on this mission are being carried out. And one of the things I wanted to do was just read for you from the charter for Catalyst and give you just a little bit about what the charter actually says the purpose of this is. And the purpose for which the corporation is organized shall be the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ by proclaiming earnestly the gospel message and to urge its personal acceptance, promoting prayer, Bible study, missions, Christian fellowship, evangelism, Christian service, and encouraging in every possible way a lifetime commitment to Christ, providing a forum in which the gospel of Jesus Christ can be discussed with nonbelievers outside a formal church setting, and generously extending the grace of God by giving away 100% of the profits. Those are the things it's designed to do. From the video itself, you can see how some of those things are already being achieved, um, and it's great to see. There are things that are in the works that we hope are going to be started up. Uh, Mike talked to you a little bit about the profits. Uh, those, the plan is all those profits are going to be used, given away. Uh, part of the problem at this point is it took a little longer to get started than we hoped. It costs a little more to get going than we hoped. So the business has some debts to it. Um, and those things are going to have to be paid off before we can start generously giving away the profits. So one of the things that we're talking about are the things that not only Catalyst is doing, but the things that we hope Catalyst will be doing. Uh, in the meantime, when we're not able to give profits away yet, there are things that are being put in the works, like having a, a monthly mission that will be supported, where Catalyst will actually highlight some other local ministry or mission and actually uh, be a place where funds can be donated there 
hopefully we're going to have a little thing where if they make a donation or contribution there, then they'll be able to pick a drink off the menu free on Catalyst. And so it'll be a way to encourage others to participate in other local ministries and missions and start achieving that purpose uh, even before we have the profits. One of the things we're here doing today, uh, and one of the great things and one of the things I'm excited about is that we can talk to you about a mission and a ministry that's really in our backyard. A lot of times you'll have somebody come in on, on Mission Sunday and talk to you about someplace over in Prague or someplace overseas, India, and it's great to hear about what the Lord's doing in those places. I just think it's really exciting to find out, hey, we've got a mission right here, and it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing here as well. Uh, so anytime a lawyer is talking to you, they're always going to ask you for something. And it's going to shock you, I know, but one of the things I'm asking you to do this morning is to prayerfully consider giving to Catalyst. Our elders are going to be, they've been great, and they've said that the Easter uh, offering is going to go toward Catalyst. What we hope to do is hope to get enough funds to pay down the debt so that we're that much quicker in starting that fourth prong of giving away profits. You heard from Mike that last month there were profits and significant profits, which is great. And that's so exciting in a new business. If you talk to, to Chuck and Sue about it, uh, I think they will be somewhat shocked that it would be making money this quickly because that's not the expectation. But it shows you that God's got his thumb on this and is involved. Um, but what we want to do, if, if that were the case and those kind of profits were coming in, we're still looking at months or a year before we'd be in a position to give away profits. So we're asking everybody to prayerfully consider giving. Some of you will not be in a position to be able to do that, and we understand. Uh, but there's still the ability to get involved, even if you don't have the financial ability to get involved. Get involved with your prayers. Pray for Catalyst daily. Get involved with your presence. Show up. Be a part of it. Um, so get involved. Get out there on the beachhead in any way you can, and we really appreciate it.